How's it going, guys? It is Wednesday, December 18th. This week on the podcast, Dr. Stan Heister and Dr. Christy Uthis join me to discuss the world's first blockchain for credit program at Portland State University. We definitely cover a lot of detail, and we also have a surprise guest that pops in on the show that's a student at Portland State University. So this one was a lot of fun. Anyways, be sure to subscribe if you have not already and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain or that would like to learn more about this awesome program at Portland State. All right, guys, enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. Uh, Stan, Christy, thanks for taking the time to come on. How are you guys doing today? Great. How about you? Nice to talk to you, Brandon. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you guys as well. Um, so for the audience and the people that'll be listening into the podcast, why don't you tell me a little bit about both of your guys' backstory and how you guys kind of got to where you're at right now? Okay, this is Stan. I'll start. Um, I came to uh, academia a little bit late in my career. I spent quite a bit of, quite a bit of time in business and in, uh, in the tech industry um, for many years and uh, worked for Teradata Corporation for quite some time and then uh, decided to go back to school yet another yet for another degree and ended up with a degree in international business, a doctorate, and uh, been in teaching in academia now for a few years, uh, six or seven years, and about three years here at Portland State. Uh, Portland State here, I'm in the management and leadership curriculum, so I teach a variety of different courses in that subject area. Very cool. Right, and this is Christy. Um, I also started, well, I started my career in tech as a database developer. Um, I had a business back then, but then I also went back and got a PhD, and I've been teaching for quite a long time. Um, and so m- much of my research for a long time was in was about business solutions to global poverty and other big problems. And so I was studying microfinance and also measuring you know social and environmental performance of nonprofits. So, um, but through that microfinance and thinking about remittances and land titling and all these different problems that people in poverty are living with then you know, I started to see these blockchain solutions that were evolving in that space. And so that's how I first ran across blockchain outside of crypto and started getting interested in it. If you don't mind me asking, what was like the first thing that you remember learning about um, in terms of blockchain? Gosh, that's a good question. It's been a while. Yeah, well, we, we started to collaborate on a paper together a year and a half ago or something like that, or maybe a little over a year ago, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And and so it, we just kind of deep dived early on or, or at that point. So it's in terms of our um, being, my being exposed to blockchain outside of crypto or Bitcoin in general was, um, was probably, you know, 18 months ago or 16 months ago or something like that. And then, like I said, we were, we're collaborating on a paper that's now just got accepted for publication after about a year of working on it. But uh, so it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty fast, uh, kind of a deep dive. And we knew that this program that we were going to start at Portland State was going to also drive a lot of requisite knowledge. Right. Yeah. So we were kind of late to the game, really. My, my son's friend was mining ETH, mm-hmm. um, you know, back in high school, but that's, but I just didn't know very much about it for 
really realize just what a huge influence it was going to have on business until I ran across it in the nonprofit space. So, yeah, that's actually how I got involved too. When I first started, I was actually um, investing in mining Ethereum like a couple years ago when it was actually like something profitable to do. So it's a very interesting way to kind of get into the space and understand like all the technical stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, let me, let me first just tell you a little bit about Portland State University because we're in Portland, Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. We're a pretty large, I think we're the largest school in Oregon actually, but we have a, we're in the business school. So we're not in the computer science or engineering side, we're on the business side. Um, mm-hmm. Our students are most, mostly working and they're older. I think the average age is 27. We got a lot of really interesting business experience and they're hard workers. Lots of them are the first in their family to go to college. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting kind of population. It's a little different than a typical university because these are all you know working adults. And so it's really a great group to be teaching blockchain to because they can immediately see how things apply out in their in their lives and their businesses. Right. That makes sense. Are, are they mostly like in-state or out-of-state? In-state. Uh, yeah, they're pretty much, yeah, it's a really high proportion in-state. Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of students from California and then a handful from these regional Montana and Idaho. But, um, and then we have a, quite a large number of international students, maybe mm-hmm. even more than out-of-state, actually. That's interesting. Is there like a specific like focus on what they want to do when they come in? Um, no, just really straightforward. There's, there's a quite a mix, um, but really straightforward. Okay. They just dig right and they just want the U S like all the core, like they really dig in and take all the core degrees. They don't focus as much on like kind of these sideline degrees. And in fact, we don't have as many international students yet in the blockchain program. You know, we just launched, um, the last day of September, our school starts kind of late and, mm-hmm. and we didn't get the program approved until the summer. So we really, nobody knew about it. Kind of the stealth launch. <laughs> it takes a while to get a program like this through the entire campus and the board of regents and everybody else that has to approve it as it comes through the system. So, um, mm-hmm. but we did, uh, we had some momentum um, and, and got it done actually very quickly for from university standards. Very cool. Did you guys actually host it this fall or are you guys uh, just working on it still? No, no, we, we launched our certificate program in the fall term, which started late September. So we're into the first, actually, we're just wrapping up the first uh, two courses. Uh, mm-hmm. Christy can tell us a little bit about the curriculum if you want to go there next. Um, uh, we have six classes, but uh, if you want us to get into detail about the classes themselves, we could certainly do that or we can stay higher level. I, um, I noticed that we have a student, one of our students outside, and he's quite an unusual and interesting addition to our program, maybe we can invite him in for just a moment. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll get into the number of credits and all those details. Hold on just one second. So Jeff Gauss um, is one of our students, but he's an unusual student in that he's, he's a non-traditional and he's, he's one of the people in the, in the Oregon area that have um, been instrumental in, in launching blockchain as a thing in and around this region and, and at the university itself. So uh, because Jeff is uh, just happened to walk by and he is, he is actually one of our students, uh, he's got a perspective coming at it from both a student, but also as a, as a member of the community who has a couple of different uh, startups going now as well. 
Very cool. You, what are those startups? Actually, you should just tell us. Well, here's Jeff now. Brandon, how are you? Good. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Nice to meet you as well. So the two startups are, the first one is the Provenance Chain Network. And uh, it's an outgrowth of the Oregon Enterprise Blockchain Venture Studio. And our, our purpose is to return transparency to commerce. And our vision is to catalog and chronicle the origin story of every product on Earth. And so that's you know how brands talk to the external bodies, whether it be the consumer, their distribution channel, or regulatory agencies, and then also use that mechanism to manage and control their supply chain. So that's the first startup. The second one is an outgrowth of the Provenance Chain Network. And that is, we started to take a look at what is the largest object in most people's lives, and it happens to be their home. And that you know, homes have an origin story. In fact, they have several thousand origin stories that are included in their home. So we started taking a look at that. And was there a better way to use blockchain technology to finance that? We figured out, yes, there is. Started pursuing that and ended up coming up with a whole new way to design, manufacture, construct, document, finance, and manage affordable housing. So we're doing it. an affordable housing initiative. It's currently named Local Homes Network. But you know, it may or may not keep that brand name long term. But those are the two things we're working on that I'm working on right now. That's very cool. I've heard a lot about um, different work and provenance and whatnot. Yeah, there's. Um, we're not the only people that are working in the space, and we're certainly not the first. But we believe that we're coming at it from a completely different perspective. In that, most of the provenance work is being driven by one of two entities. It's either a large distribution channel partner, so think large retailers that are looking at it as a way to understand how to manage recalls and food safety issues uh, or it is some sorry for the judgment you're going to hear is some do-good organization that wants to cast judgment on uh, corporations in terms of how they behave and what they're distributing mm-hmm. and we think that there's a better way to do it and that is to work with the brand because who has a a more vested interest in projecting an origin story other than the brand, because you know, they're the ones that create the product, so they're the ones that know the story and need to protect the integrity of that story because it ultimately will tarnish their brand. So we're going to be brand-centric, number one. Number two, we're going to be completely open standards and open source. And the third thing that we believe differentiates us is that we're going to be applying token economics, and our brand name for that is Provenomics, to incent uh, the proper behavior within the uh, commerce chain, both on the supply and the distribution side. It's very cool. How long ago did you start those? Uh, well, the, the, the local homes network is in the process of being constructed. We're filing corporate paperwork probably just before the beginning of the calendar year. We may wait until after the calendar year to start the, the tax clocks running in, in 2020. Um, the Providence Chain Network, the work on it started in the fall of 2018. We actually incorporated in the summer of 2019. I really kicked off, uh, it was August 1st, was our, you know, the pull, pull the trigger on the starting gun. Did you guys put together any use cases yet? Yeah, we're, uh, yeah, yes, we're, we've identified four industries that we're prosecuting simultaneously, and they are um, in no particular order the food and beverage industry, the performance apparel industry. The uh, building products and construction industry, obviously the housing industry, and then the last one is the aerospace and defense manufacturing industry. Yeah, it's awesome. Sounds like you're doing a lot, a lot of good already. I've never been busier, but I've never been happier and more fulfilled. So. <laughs> no, I bet. I bet you're very busy. 
tell me what you think about the market. Are are you interested in uh, just the tech side of it? Or are you interested in uh, how the uh, the crypto markets move? Um, well, it's, it's a that's a very interesting question. So I personally am one of those uh, oddballs in that I'm both a technologist. So I've developed products through most of my career. I own have a couple of patents that I've you know, invented some things, but I'm also a businessman and and somewhat of an economist by education. So mm -hmm. uh, I've taken a look at the size of this, and I think that you know when you think about blockchain. Um, and why I got the, the Oregon Enterprise Blockchain Venture Studio started is I think there's moments in human history and evolution where a technology comes along and changes everything. You know, there's classic cases, you know, fire, the wheel, bow and arrow, stir up, steam engine, telegraph, et cetera, et cetera. The last big one in our lifetime was 1993. And that was the introduction of HTML, which was the underlying core technology that enabled the World Wide Web, which went on to change everything. I think blockchain is one of two of the technologies that are of that magnitude that we're living through right now. The other one is CRISPR. I'm not smart enough to know what to do with CRISPR, and I don't really want to deal with the moral and ethical. Oh, I love CRISPR. CRISPR is very interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating, and I, mean, I hope they've got the right people are the ones that pick that up and run with it. Um, so I decided to do something for Oregon from a blockchain perspective, and one of the things I specifically looked at was cryptocurrency. The thing I saw with cryptocurrency, you know, this comes from my economic background, I hear all these people talking about how something's going to replace the U.S. dollar. And, you know, as I was formulating the Venture Studio, I was in the middle of reading a book called The Accidental Superpower which is a pretty interesting book about global macroeconomics and geopolitics and the U.S.'s role in that. And it talks a lot about the post-Bretton Woods environment that we've lived in since the end of World War II and the era that we're in right now. And the conclusion that I came to is anybody that thinks that the cryptocurrency um, is going to replace the U.S. dollar is delusional. They don't understand the United States Federal Reserve. They don't understand the United States Treasury. They don't understand the United States Navy. And they don't understand Jamie Dimon. And I think that the, the, um, there will be a cryptocurrency that will supplant the quote-unquote U.S. dollar. But I believe it will be a derivative of the U.S. dollar. It will be controlled by two people. And that will be Phil Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. And I think we're already seeing that happen with J.P. Morgan's wholesale uh, back office settlement cryptocurrency, and also with um, the Apple credit card. I believe the Apple credit card is actually a cryptocurrency. It's just not labeled that. One is done by Goldman Sachs. The other one is done by mm -hmm. J.P. Morgan. So we specifically chose to stay away from uh, the state here, uh, and the, the initiatives that I started were to stay away from cryptocurrency because we thought that was a fool's errand, number one. And number two, uh, Oregon is not a money center state. You know, we don't have big uh, global banks that have back office operations, so the talent's not here either. So why chase that? We'll chase the things that we're really good at. And we, I made a pretty strong case on that. And then one of the things that I saw was, God, we're going to need a lot of employees. And so as part of that whole construct, I uh, worked with Portland State's senior you know leadership from the president on down to and that's how i got to know christy and stan to develop a university-based curriculum for blockchain because there's a lot of implications and yeah there's some online courses that you can take to 
uh, look at that. But one of the things that we're seeing, and you know, I just came from a meeting here, where we're actually having students pop in and slide in and out of our internal conversations as we're doing governance and looking at specific vertical markets. And those kind of interactions are very difficult to facilitate in, in a purely online environment. So the, uh, the approach that, and the other thing that Portland State's doing is they're approaching it from the business school perspective as opposed to the crypto side of it. And you know, there's, uh, I, I call them the hashtags, the, the technical guys that just that argue about consensus mechanisms and things like that and get buried down in the weeds and not understanding what the business use case is and you know where is the value of creation where is the value of capture how do you monetize this and that's what this program is focusing on so it's been very very valuable and, that, and i'm also you know even though i helped get started i decided to take the course and i'm in the middle of it and, and what's fascinating is right at the time we're getting into the whole governance analysis of the course i'm in the process of writing the governance rules for the provenance chain network we literally just had that meeting today so the, the timing of it is phenomenal for me yeah that's awesome sounds like you're very well studied up on it too and you know with blockchain and everything um a, a lot of people believe that blockchain is building a new layer for the internet uh new ways for us to interact and input and interface with the internet and do different things online and build more decentralized uh, communities, applications, uh, platforms, whatnot. With with all that you know, what do you think? Do you think that we're going to move more towards a decentralized world or do you think there's going to be this application, um, but we're going to still have these centralized authorities, these big banks, these big governments, these big corporations uh, just using and facilitating the technology. Do you think that we're going to live more in that kind of a world? Or do you think we're going to live in a slowly more decentralized world? Uh, there's a lot to unpack in that question. It's a very insightful question. And I'll, I'll answer it in somewhat of a roundabout way. Okay. And anytime, so humankind is such that anytime we see a new technology, the way that we apply it, and uh, there's a, you know who Marshall McLuhan is or was? He was a Columbia University new media professor, and he had a quote, which is, mm -hmm. uh, the medium is the message that was right around when television took off and how television was going to redefine society. His second most famous quote is the one that I think is more pertinent to the conversation we're having, which is, human beings march into the future backwards. And what he means by that, or what he meant by that, is that we take a new technology and apply it to the way we are currently doing things. And evidence of that is the very first automobile was known as a horseless carriage. The very first television program was a radio program with a camera in front of it. We live with that format today. It's called The Tonight Show. The very first websites we created were digital brochures. We took our paper brochures and put them into a digital format. And then another use case is when we first introduced VOIP or internet telephony, the very first thing we did was figure out how to do regular telephone calls cheaper. So whenever you see something like that, that's the 1.0 version. And I think that most of the blockchain things that we're working on right now are going to be, okay, this is something we currently do, you know, whether it be track and trace or financial settlements. We're gonna do the 1.0 versions, which are gonna be clunky, but they're gonna be proofs of concept. They're gonna show us how to do things. And we'll do another iteration of them, which will be the 2.0 stuff. And the 2.0 stuff for the internet, 
to use that metaphor was the the 2000 era where we started to see pets.com and everybody had to have a website and we're going to, we're going to change our business models operating. Most of those fail. It's when the 3.0 stuff starts coming around and starts to get interesting. And that, the 3.0 stuff in my mind for you know, using the internet metaphor was things like YouTube, Gmail, Facebook, those type of things, which all of those started to get started in the 2004 to 2006 timeframe. And so the kind of things that, that I'm focused on when I keep pushing for uh, Portland State to be working on or what the Oregon Enterprise Watching Venture Studio was intended to do was figure out what those 3.0 things are. And the 3.0 things in any industry are the stuff that you could never have done without this new technology. So for example, let's use VOIP as an example. When, and I, I happen to work in the internet telephony space, that's where one of my patents is. The very first thing that it was used for was how do we terminate international telephone calls cheaper than the way we were doing it on regular digital telephone lines. You get all that, created the market, flooded the market with technology, basically tore down the international phone companies and the international long distance settlement. It used to be to call Europe, it was $3 a minute, now it's free. So we did all that, and then it was about, well, maybe 2008 or 2009, when we started to see some new things, such as unlimited number of people participating in a conference for free from around the world. And the next thing you know, you start seeing video conferences running over the web using the H323 or H324 protocol, things like Zoom and WebEx and all of that. And none of those things would have been possible if we hadn't gone through the 1.0, 2.0 evolutions. So, get back to your question, how do I think this is going to unfold? I think we're going to, we will always have centralization, and maybe it's not centralization, maybe the better word is concentration, that certain functions get concentrated just for efficiency reasons, etc. But as the, uh, as the blockchain technology starts to move into mainstream adoption, the victors are going to be a different set of characters than you see today, you know, as evidenced by, you know, take a look at the Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 at the turn of the century versus today or even 20 years ago. Most everybody has changed out because of the disruption of new technology and new business models. And I think that that's what's going to happen here is we will see the 1.0, 2.0 revolution start to show us what the 3.0 environments can look like. New companies will emerge, they'll behave differently, there'll be different governance structures, whether it be the B Corp. Um, I actually think there's a new kind of corporation that needs to exist, I call it a D Corp, mm -hmm. which would be the corporate laws to cover a, a, a DAU, a DAO. Um, and those kind of entities, and now there's a new concept called a stewardship corporation, those kind of entities will emerge and they will have different ownership structures. And the model that I would look for is if you think back to the way our insurance companies grew up, they started out as mutual insurance companies. If you think about that, there was a way to distribute risk and there was common ownership and common rules and et cetera. It was only within the last 40 years where we decided, oh, this thing should be publicly held entities. And it wasn't until we took them to the stock market that insurance companies started to fail. And so I think we're going to return to that kind of ownership, ownership structure. So think mutual ownership or co-ops. And I think the technology is going to be enabled. So does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, that, that helps. I, I don't think there's an answer to that question. It's really hard to see 
where we're going with all this because it's so early. But no, I, re- I really do appreciate it. You have a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, one more quick question. And since you're doing so much work in Oregon, are you seeing any real interest or traction in Oregon um, amongst the everyday person or even the people that are more into the industry? Like, what are you seeing? Um, yeah, I'm seeing an enormous amount of interest here. I mean, it, it surprised me that when I first approached uh, the powers that be here, and the second person I went and talked to about my idea three years ago was a guy who uh, had you know, created a software company here and had retired, was actually working for the state on a pro bono basis. You know, the state of Oregon has a, has a venture investment arm called the Oregon Growth Board. And he was the chairman of that board, and I went to him and talked about this. And after he did about a week's worth of research on blockchain, he came back to me and said, yeah, we'll fund you. And, you know, state governments don't behave that way. So I was pretty stunned by that. And so he said, you just need to go get some corporate involvement. So I started talking about major corporations, and they started getting involved. And, and at that time, if you had put something out on you know, meetups or anything like that, you may see 20 people show up. And it was the same 20 people, and they were the hashtags that were getting into the, mm. the crypto arguments, et cetera. Now, if you put some blockchain stuff out there, you'll see five or six events happening within the same week, all covering the blockchain, uh, all kinds of different groups getting involved. And some will be coding, some will be the business processes, some will be how to train for it, they'll be how to make you know, fortunes in cryptocurrency. So there's a lot of interest in it. And there's also a lot of interest in it in terms of uh, how we can use it to promote the economy of Oregon. Because if you think about it, the state of Oregon, 85% of the server chips that are used in data centers are designed and or manufactured here. Uh, We've got all kinds of software development capability here. eBay's labs are here. Walmart's labs are here. Uh, the, The auction for online advertising, that, a consortium is headquartered here. The Linux Foundation got created here in Oregon. Uh, so there's all of that movement here. And then you have things such as the farm to table movement got started here. We're very big on organic and the wine industry. So there's an enormous amount of interest in terms of how we use blockchain to take the, the lifestyle of Oregon and promote that around the world. Uh, as, which also includes the sociological bent that exists out here. I mean, one of the, when I, moved, I moved here from the East Coast, so I come from mm-hmm. a part of the world where whether I voted or not didn't really matter because it was all pretty well locked down by the precinct bosses long before the election came around. Came out here to Oregon, and it just frustrated the hell out of me because before anything happens out here, there's got to be a lot of conversation, and there's got to be a lot of collaboration. Well, interestingly enough, that's exactly how blockchain works, right? Collaboration and consensus. And so from a societal perspective, there's congruency between the way we govern ourselves as a state and the way that that technology is governed. And so that's where I started with, okay, this fits. And so this state is a natural, you know, we've actually got the governor and the treasurer of the state of Oregon to declare publicly that their intention is as Delaware is to corporate law, Oregon will be the blockchain law. We're going to regulate what needs to be regulated, liberate what needs to be liberated, and we will irrigate what needs to be irrigated. It was under that irrigation piece that the Oregon Enterprise Blockchain Venture Studio and the movement that Santa Christie are involved in 
got started. So that's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of interest. Has it gone mainstream yet? Mm. No. A lot of people like, you, you go to a cocktail party, that's always a fun conversation. What do you do? Well, not much in anything, you know, and then they say, well, I'm in the blockchain space and for, oh, well, what about Bitcoin? Yeah. And the metaphor that I use for that is the Bitcoin is the blockchain as porn was the HTML. And I use that metaphor very specifically because if you think about that, the reason we have streaming media on the internet is because of the porn industry. And it's been that way since all the way since the Gutenberg press. Same thing happened with the blockchain movement. The guys that started out with Bitcoin, the first use cases of that were very nefarious characters, drug runners, human traffickers, arms merchants, etc. And rather than condemn the technology, you should look at those use cases and say, if they're using that technology, that means that technology is very solid and it gives you some pretty interesting attributes. Now, how do we apply that to the good world to do good things or you know, take it into the light and do some good things? And that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah, it, it sounds like there's a lot going on and I'm really excited to see where Oregon kind of fits into that. Um, that blockchain footprint that's being developed in the States for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I think that, you know, I don't think that um, Silicon Valley or Seattle have a uh, squatter's right claim to blockchain. And it has to do with the decentralization or the distribution of the technology. So mm -hmm. they have everything to lose and we have everything to gain. I would suggest that our Portland's competition in this sector is Toronto. And Toronto's a little bit in the lead uh, because of the uh, University of Waterloo, uh, specifically, if you know that university, mm -hmm. out of that university came uh, Blackberry and uh, also Northern Telecom and Mitel and a bunch of other telecommunications firms. So there's a very deep-rooted history of crypto um, cybersecurity and, and telecommunications technology. And then you also have Don Tapscott and his institute up there. So there's a lot. Of it. Plus, it's also, I mean, like Toronto is about five times the size of Portland. So you also have a little bit of critical mass. But what I like about our environment here is that we're a state that's the size of Germany with a population half of Manhattan. What that means is that our elected officials are your friends and neighbors. And you can get the president of the university to take a meeting with you. You can get the treasurer of the state of Oregon to show up without a security detail and sit down and have a business conversation. And there's only 4 million of us, so you can get things done here, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's definitely important in the space, too, is being able to get things done and um, be an environment where people can come together. And I think that's why it's you're seeing so much regulation being lifted in places like Wyoming and Arizona and um, a little bit in Nevada, um, just looking at the West Coast. Yeah. And Oregon hopefully is heading down that path as well. Yeah, we, um, and I, you know, my fingerprints were all over this to a degree, but the, the initiatives that we, or the, the use cases that we went after included, you know, a broad basis, you know, health, digital health and wellness, um, identity and security, digital property rights, which we think is, you know, notice what I said, I didn't say digital privacy rights, I said digital property mm -hmm. rights. And so those are the things, if you take a look at the companies that you know, Christine and Sam were involved in nurturing through the Venture Studio, 
uh, we went after health and wellness, we went after digital privacy and property rights, we went after identity um, uh, rewards tokens, and I'm missing one. Oh yeah, and, and the supply chain piece for uh, the pharma industry, which you know, put it into the health and wellness space. So that was the that was the first tranche of companies that came through the incubator and just observing and nurturing those companies brought a lot of fresh thinking to their community that is now starting to proliferate and we'll see how that influences what kind of companies we form, et cetera. Yeah. Look, looking at, so like, so what some of the other states have done to encourage like startups and to help um, fund and incubate and create sandboxes and whatnot, what do you think the best strategy, if you, if you could make the decision what the best strategy would be for Oregon to attract more blockchain startups or to foster that kind of environment? Well, um, I, I wrote a white paper that I've submitted to uh, Stan and Christie as part of the class that I have um, said could go open source if they mm-hmm. choose to. I think the holy grail for blockchain technology for United States society and maybe beyond happens to be in the healthcare sector. And I think that the usage of crypto economics to influence human behavior, choices that we make, can radically influence um, the cost curve and the outcomes that we achieve with our you know, healthcare, moving healthcare from healthcare to wellness can change that very dramatically. And so I mapped out exactly how to do that. And what it would require is the, um, or actually have this in the plan, is it gets it requires the governor of the state of Oregon to issue one executive order. And from that executive order, everything else will start to happen. And what that executive order would be is to state that we are going to create a citizen-centric identity for all the citizens of the state of Oregon that will be a universal healthcare benefits eligibility ID because it's the only digital identity that every American citizen is required to carry by law. Obamacare brought that to us, number one. Number two, it's also the only digital identity that is under state control because the insurance cards that are handed out are governed by the the local state insurance commissions. And so if the governor of the state of Oregon issued that executive order, she would flip over 50% of the citizens of the state of Oregon to that new environment and 50%, the rest of them will follow. And then you can start to attach electronic health records to it. And then you can start to put in place a a digital uh, property ownership framework and consent mechanism. And then you create the marketplace by which those things get monetized. And then you can start to introduce the crypto economic incentives to change people's behaviors. And the the example that I use all the time is I'm a middle-aged male. We as a society know that if at 40 years old I start getting my prostate exam and at 50 years old if I get my colonoscopy, I have a better lifetime outcome. But today we disincent me from getting those things done because we require me to make a co-payment for those. So men being who and what we are, oh, yeah, I'll get to it next year, et cetera. And then invariably some percentage of the population ends up with some kind of cancer that we now throw hundreds of thousands of dollars at. But what if we you know, crypto economically incented somebody to do that on a specific date. And maybe that is, you know, here's a coupon to go get some vegetables and whole foods, or here's a coupon to go get some workout gear at the Nike store, or go to the gym, or you know, something like that to get you to go do that. 
And that just, I mean, literally, all it requires is the governor of the state of Oregon to issue the executive order and the rest of it will follow. Now, it's a 15-year march, but that would be how I would say we'd go about it. Because then if we did that, then we could become a model of the nation and the, the companies that would be built to do it here could then start to export our technology to the rest of the 50 states, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but to do all that, you got to have a population of employees that understand the implications of that, which is not only just the, the hash heads and the, the technologists, uh, which I actually think that some of that doesn't need to be created here. We can license that from other players, but we need the people that understand how businesses operate and the implications of that and how to apply the tool set that, that blockchain and crypto economics brings us to these new industries. Yeah, that, that's to, to kind of feed off of that, that's kind of where, you know, where our thoughts are with Christy and I as well is that coming at it from the, the business perspective, the business student perspective and, and how that's going to, you know, really, really in the end lead the charge because, you know, the, the, the technologists understand it from the technology perspective, but the reason we chose to make this a business centric uh, program was to, you know, to, to, to drive it at the business level within organizations. So product managers that, you know, can look at their their whole ecosystem and say, this is really where blockchain should play and this is where we can improve, you know, rather than, you know, we all know that it's, it's going to be difficult to, you know, to force blockchain initiatives in huge businesses that having well ingrained processes, but, but to look at a specific set of processes and say, this one, it makes sense and let's go for it. It's at the business level that we think that's going to happen. Yeah, and I think Jeff made so many good points about why businesses need to be really engaged with learning about this new technology in terms of thinking through kind of like some of his projects just require a lot of collaboration among players that don't normally collaborate and that's a completely new way to think of business so we've had trade associations co-ops and things like that but this is a very different model when groups are collaborating and they can have shared databases and all kinds of things it's just a very different set of tools and um, thought processes that you need to pull that off. So you have to think strategically and you have to think about how to make these operationally um, productive. And so, yeah, so what Jeff has pointed out all along, I mean, you've heard him say so many things, so many business concepts that are needed to make these startups work. Um, and that's the kind of stuff, you know, you can, you can learn the underlying technology um, but that just does not get you to the point where you can implement a functioning, valuable blockchain that creates value for the business and for the ecosystem that it's operating in. And so that's what we're trying to do in this program. So, yeah, to make that, that distinction between what you can get, you can get plenty of certifications, um, you know, online, which I have some uh, industry certifications around, you know, solution architect, for example, blockchain solution architect that, that you can learn, like Christy says, the underlying technology, but we're coming at it from the applied perspective. And that's really, really what's going to differentiate the Portland state um, certificate program. Right. And, you know, a university course is just so different than an online course. So you can take those online courses. And some of them do go into quite a bit of depth and you take multiple choice tests, but it's very different than really having to study in depth this curated material that focuses on specific necessary concepts. 
and then you take tests on those and you write papers on those and you create projects and right now the students are analyzing a white paper in depth and so in in another class they'll create their own business models just like jeff has done you know create an idea and then we'll evaluate it strategically technologically operationally financially and so all that stuff is just very difficult to do that kind of thing mm -hmm. with online classes i mean our classes are online university classes where you engage with other students and really deep projects and um, course materials and so and as as jeff pointed out because we're in oregon and because it's such a small and tight-knit and generous blockchain community the students have a lot of opportunity to interact with companies if they want to so we have expert guests in all the time um, we have projects associated with real companies um, and then we'll have mentors on these on these projects that they develop on their own and so you know it's just a really nice atmosphere to be running a program like this and so you know we have to thank before jeff goes we've just got to really um thank jeff because he was the one that got this whole program started in our state and at our university yeah Je jeff made some awesome points too and um in regards to blockchain there's so many sectors that will have such a huge impact on and especially with healthcare definitely being a big one with digital privacy and patient data and um and he nailed it on the head with everything that's being done in oregon and everything that he's been able to contribute no that's i was uh, very uh surprised to hear jeff today but no he was awesome well, i have been living breathing for uh, about three and a half years every day uh, which some of it was waking up and just saying what what's the tide going to bring in today and how I got to where this is, I uh, made a point of getting up every day and meeting three to five people for either a coffee or a cocktail with sole intention of what can I do to help you? And it was literally, it was the very first conversation I had on that, that walkabout that they got, this guy asked me a question, which led to the Venture Studio. And now the Venture Studio came with two companies that I'm starting. It was all, you know, how do I use my network and my networking skills to better my fellow citizen here in Oregon. No, that's awesome. Before you go, actually, let me ask, what, what do you have, uh, what are you planning next? Um, what are you, what are you working on? Or is it, are you still for, focused on these startups? Oh, I've, I've got plenty to do on the two startups. <laughs> I mean, literally Tuesday, we were in front of the aerospace and defense industry, starting to map out how we would go about that industry. And today we were spending our days working on the, corporate architecture and the governance structure of the entities within the corporate architecture for the Providence Chain Network. And Friday, you know, tomorrow, I'll be meeting with um, the people that we've chosen to be the senior leaders for the uh, housing environment, which involves licensing some technology from a firm overseas and starting to put in place its corporate structure. And uh, we've already found the first customer is going to build the first 20 units. Etc. So those are the things that I'm working on. Um, you know, I have a, a, a first and foremost, I'm a husband. And second, I'm a father of two grown men. Um, so I spend a lot of time with that. And I also spend an enormous amount of time working with a nonprofit. Uh, our mission is to educate the next generation of business leaders. We work with 14 to 18 year old high school students. Uh, so I give a lot back. I mean, I, I get way more than I give in that. Just, uh, I have seen some pretty amazing transformations in or youth, and if you ever want to, if you ever get discouraged 
and you want to uh, reinvigorate yourself for you know having hope for the future to spend some time with these high school students in this program and watch them transform and then it's just magical what happens so so the kind of the, so the kind of thing that i'm working on is um, the state of oregon does not have a secretary of commerce and so a lot of the things that i mm -hmm. do and how i think i'm doing that role because i think it's one that's very very needed um, and it has everything to do with the way we derive our tax revenue here and we're on this incredible growth trajectory that we cannot sustain unless we change our tax revenues and it's going to be very difficult to change the way we uh, obtain our revenues so then because we get all of our income or all of our taxes from income taxes here and so uh, the only thing to do is drive up income and both corporate and personal so do they if they have more gdp well they have more gdp we can have a commerce strategy so that's what i've been working on yeah, it's, well, it sounds like you're working on a lot for sure. And we'll, at some point, we'll definitely have to talk about doing a a separate podcast episode so we can really get into the weeds on some of these um, things that you've brought up. Um, so they're all very, very good topics and could be standalone episodes for sure. I'd be happy to help you out on that. I mean, I, you know, I do have a commercial interest. And the commercial interest that I would put forward first would be the Provenance Chain mm -hmm. Network. Um, and we're not because that one we're ready to start talking about the uh, local homes network that's probably in the summer to fall of 2020 that we would be ready to start talking about that because we expect that excuse me we expect to be delivering our first units at the end of the first quarter of 2020 i'm sorry 2021 so we'll uh we'll put you in touch brandon with the yeah that'd be awesome so pleasure and uh, thanks for what you're doing and i appreciate your interest in the portland state program first of its kind in the world and uh, they're they're executing very very well yeah so and i'm not an easy student <laughs> for that yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks jeff. That's all me, right jeff. thank you jeff take care okay so the program that we offer it's called the Block business blockchain certificate program so we just started it this year in 2019 um, and we'll run it again next year and each year after that. It's a year-long program and the coursework is about half of the size of a full-time course load in college. So we're on a quarter system. And so for us, that's six credit hours. Um, and so we run the program over three terms. So we have fall, winter, and spring. In fall, we focus on the fundamentals. Well, actually, let me back up a little bit. Everyone who joins the program has to take this business blockchain bootcamp that we do online. So that gets everybody out of kind of a, a level playing field where they, you know, they know the basic terminology at least, they kind of understand what they're getting into. Yeah, then in the fall we do fundamentals. So with all the aspects of um, all the details about, you know, consensus, tokenomics, um, different platforms, architecture, and then we get into other things, regulations, and there's some business concepts. And then at the same time, students take a class in the computer science department that where they, um, you know, create wallets, do some exchanging, and do a lot of work with smart contracts. They're using Solidity this year. They'll probably switch next year and remix and stuff. So that's that. And then in the winter, we move on to really focus in on business, new business <coughs> models, business strategies. Um, operational approaches, really the whole idea of what do you really need a blockchain for? 
and what can you do with the blockchain that you could not do before blockchain existed you know and then also how do you get businesses to collaborate on these big blockchain projects which are really going to be where the movement and the value to uh, the economy is created so that's in the in the winter and the lab course during the winter we um we use a blockchain that's already created and then students will build a blockchain and figure out the monetary policy and um, you just build it up piece by piece and then run transactions across it. Then, um, and that's a business blockchain. These are all enterprise blockchains. So they're permissioned and the player are known, although they're parts of them, of course, that'll be off chain, well, they'll be on the public chain, part of the off chain. Okay, and then in the spring, the last term, the students will create a business idea, design a blockchain solution, and then create a proof of concept. And these can be these can be bigger solutions or they can be dApps. Um, and then, so that'll be, you know, big hands-on course and it will be mentored by business people. And then we'll also, we've got a small kind of hot topics course. So this year we'll, we'll do some FinTech and DeFi, um, you know, whatever else comes up between now and spring, which seems to be a long time away in blockchain years. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so that's our program and we've just launched it this year and it's going really well so far. We've got a great group of students. And so, um, one of the, one of the things we've been involved in both last year before the project, the uh, program started and this year, there's a national blockchain competition, student competition, um, run by an organization that kind of does games gamification of uh, college business materials. Anyway, so uh, last year, the competition was two weeks long. It was the first time they had done it. And there were 36 teams from across the US and the one of the Portland State teams won that competition. And then this year again, there was another competition. This one was a month long, much more intense and much more difficult. Many, many of the teams dropped out, but there were 10 teams left. And then this year, the Portland State team won again. So we're excited about that. Um, some of our students are also involved in a, a year-long competition hosted by the Department of Defense out of uh, an organization at the University mm -hmm. of Arizona, which is a supply chain uh, competition. So they're building a blockchain for that, a proof of concept for how to move some uh, specific kinds of inventory in and out of the Air Force um, supply network, that kind of thing. So that's they've got mentors from the Department of Defense, and you know, there's just there's a lot of opportunities for students to work with businesses with the government. I mean, everybody needs new ideas and innovations and talent, and it's sometimes easier for someone who's newer to business to come up with these new models than someone who has been steeped in those same models for decades. And so the students can really add a lot just by the nature of them just having learned a variety of things. They're learning accounting, finance, supply chain, marketing, management, strategy, all these different things, but also blockchain. So they're able to piece things together a lot more um, fluidly in some ways than somebody who's been in a silo for a long time. So companies really like these students as interns and as um, participants in competitions and things like that. So we'll see more of that over the, you know, as blockchain becomes more prevalent in universities. Right now, we are the first university in the world to offer a full for credit blockchain program. There are 
certificate programs around um, online, but this, these are real university in-depth courses. Um, and so we're pretty proud of it. And it's a really great program that we've created. In many, maybe Stan can speak to this. In many universities, the blockchain initiatives are driven by students. Yeah, well, I think Brandon, one of the things you wanted to discuss was how we see in academia blockchain uh, developing and um, sometimes academia lags a little bit, but we are kind of seeing it groundswell from student organizations that maybe even student organizations from universities that don't even have any kind of blockchain uh, education, any course at all. In fact, uh, you know, there's large student organizations at places like Berkeley, for example, and they, they mentor other student organizations. And we ran into uh, to an incubator in, in Northern California when we were there for a conference that's called Mouse Belt. And they, they actually mentor 60 plus student organizations around the world. And so we're seeing it kind of come from a poll perspective where the students are actually getting engaged in, in student organizations and then pulling that through the university into, hey, let's get some real courses here. So we're seeing some, some more universities taking that approach, maybe launching one course here, one course there. And a lot of them, of course, have started up in the CS departments, but now we're start to, starting to see that blossom over into business uh, side as well. Um, university of British Columbia just got a $2 million grant, um, and from the, from the state and Canada to build out a blockchain program. So that's an example of some momentum there as well. We're seeing quite a bit of momentum in some other universities too. Uh, San Diego state, Arizona state, um, university of Arkansas, I got some money from, from the, from the Waltons and, uh, they've got some things going on there as well. So we're hoping it's, uh, it's catching fire. Yeah, it, it seems to be growing um, slowly but steadily um, from everything I've seen. And I, I did um, I did a podcast back in September with the blockchain uh, SBS block Spartan Blockchain Solutions with um, Michigan State. Um, they they had, they were all students. They had some really interesting opinions on it as well. And I'm not too far removed from college, so I, I know there's a lot of student organizations that are definitely pushing a lot of this stuff. Um, and it usually kind of at the uh, administrative level gets caught up and not a lot gets pushed through. So it's really cool to see the uh, the program that you guys have right now at um, Portland State. But what I'm really curious about is, because I'm not sure how long it'll take, but do, do you guys think that students would be able to pursue a degree in some type of subfield for blockchain, whether it be in business or whether it be from a more technical side, uh, developing smart contracts um, and things like that. Kind of curious, what, what are your guys' opinion? Well, right now, the way that we're approaching it is it's for undergrads, it's an add-on. So they'll be majoring in supply chain and then they add on blockchain mm -hmm. for accounting add-on. And so um, I, I'm not sure how, if it'll change so that you just need your, it feels like it's more valuable when you've got some, some other business focus, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, and I think in university, um, more generally speaking, seems to be, you know, these certificate programs seem to be kind of picking up steam where you get a generalized degree and then you put on top of that specific certifications um, around say retail industry, for example, or, 
or um, supply chain logistics or something like that. So whether it becomes an entire university bachelorate uh, program or something that would that's a that's a good question. I don't know if we've got crystal ball yeah. that you can tell us it's, that yet or not. It's hard to say that and at the graduate level. So we offer this program at the graduate level as well. And at that level, they added on to an MBA or a master's in finance right now. But we are just, in fact, so we've got also a couple of other certificates, one in uh, business informatics and analytics and um, a couple other things. And so what we're doing now is we're starting a new master's degree program. It's called the um, Masters of Science and Data, Data Science, Science yeah. or something like that. Anyway, mm. so that actually, that, that's kind of a paired down version of the MBA that's really focused on tech. And so that's a, not exactly a mini MBA, but it's the core of the MBA and it's focused on tech. So when you study strategy, you're studying tech strategy and digital transformation, things like that. And so um, that master's degree core paired with the blockchain program. Now that you could probably consider that a blockchain master's degree program. That's not online this year, but that will be next year. And so, yeah, so maybe you're right. You know, maybe this this is coming where blockchain will sort of lead the, the development of these degrees rather than be an add-on after the fact. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to tell, but I mean, with the demand for it in the marketplace starting to really grow and um, with how well it fits into certain degrees like um, in computer science, for example, I, I could see it potentially making its way there other than that it, it's it's kind of hard to tell for sure if there will be some like formal bachelor's degree or master's degree um because i mean blockchain is a very big broad topic and there are a lot of subcategories uh, obviously that go into that um so while i, I could i know a lot of students that want to get into the industry I, i'm always asking them like like what specifically in the industry because it's just so big right now and brand new well it's so hard to know until you get into it right right and, that, and it and to your point there brandon it may be best weaved into each of, of the disciplines so if you've got you know one of the one of the disciplines here that's a fairly large one is our supply chain and logistics uh, operations discipline and and so you weave you know blockchain into it as opposed to maybe blockchain being its entire you know, you know, a university degree sort of, sort of thing, kind of like what we do with entrepreneurship and sustainability is we, we try to weave those into all of our undergraduate business courses rather than create a specific, you know, degree in that area. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad that Stan mentioned sustainability because I forget about that, but that's one of the big missions of our of Portland State University and of the business school. I mean, it's huge for us, social environmental impact of what happens in business. So we weave that into all of our classes. And that's a big part of our of our blockchain program as well. And so we know for a fact, based on some of we know that we will be copied. And what we are hoping is that people will also copy the sustainability focus and the focus on impact rather than just on the tech or just on making money or whatever it is. Yeah. The blockchain for good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Other other than the um, the program, is Portland State offering students other resources where they can explore and learn more about blockchain? So the program has a board 
uh, a board of advisors, and those board of advisors are come from some pretty big companies around here in Portland, mm -hmm. as you can imagine. Um, and we also have a student organization as well which, that we're starting up. So that organization, um, we envision to be to to do what you're suggesting, is to to spread the word and to actually you know recruit. Uh, you know, people maybe not even from the School of Business, but other schools, you know, into blockchain-oriented because there, there's certainly a lot of play in the medical. You know, we have a, you know, a many different degrees outside of the School of Business, obviously, here. And so uh, to the extent we can get that done, uh, we'll see over time. But uh, I think we have a pretty good bit of momentum with our student organization now that's kind of just starting now to drive those conversations across campus. Right. And... Um... The blockchain at Berkeley group really pioneered this idea. I mean, they've got they've got business and um, CS integrated, but they've also got law and public policy and some other areas that are pretty critical. Um, and you know, this is all students, but they do consulting, so they've they've worked out um, a way to do specific kinds of consulting projects, really for big firms. And so, students don't need to take any. Class. They take a little bit of online classes, but then they just can, once they have, you know, some basic knowledge, they can jump onto one of these projects. And they're for big businesses in that area. I mean, they're in San Francisco, so there's a lot of interest. Um, you know, and so, and we're smaller, of course, in Oregon, but we have such good ties with the larger organizations here. And so ultimately, you know, once our student group is up and running, we will start that sort of process with a consulting arm so they can learn by doing real projects. Yeah, that's awesome. We're kind of coming towards the end of the podcast. Um, so I kind of wanted to open it up if you guys had any announcements or things that people should look forward to regarding maybe the program or things being done at Portland State revolving around blockchain um, or where to get more information on this program what Portland State's doing. Um, I'll kind of open it up for you guys. Uh, well, certainly you can come around. We, you, you can, if you have a Brave browser, you've probably seen an ad for our program that we're running currently on Brave. Uh, Brave was one of the six uh, startups that were part of the Oregon Enterprise uh, Venture Studio. Um, so anyway, we're friendly with, uh, with the Brave folks. But mm. you can also, we have um, a webpage that... You're right. If you just Google Portland State and blockchain, you'll find our our homepage and with all the basic information and how to apply. So um, one thing that's important is that community members can take these courses too. You do not have to be a Portland State student and because they're fully online, you do not, you can live anywhere. And so um, there's a quick admit process and you can take up to, I think, 12 credit hours a term. So it's plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of opportunity to take this class. There is um, there's a bit of screening because we, we want people that either have some business or tech experience um, and some maybe some coursework under their belts. They can't really just jump into these hard courses without some college background, probably. But um, yeah, aside from that, anyone in the world could really take these classes right now. They're like optionality in terms of like what time of year you can take it or is it pretty set in stone? We You can start in either the fall term where we have the fundamentals classes mm -hmm. or you can actually start in the winter term as well as long as you take the blockchain boot camp so the the, uh, the blockchain for business courses you don't necessarily need a prereq for that other than the blockchain boot camp which is only about a four or five hour uh, online 
kind of a you know ramp up type of program. Uh, so yeah, so and then as we grow the program, we'll probably start to run concurrent uh, courses. So that we'll have a, a blockchain fundamentals course running concurrently with say the spring courses. So people will be able to jump in, you know, any time of the year. That's yeah. our, that's our goal. Right. But so right now it's either September or January. Okay. Awesome. Stan, Christy, thanks for coming on and taking the time to share everything you guys are doing at Portland state and with this program, um, with the audience. And I'm really looking forward to seeing like what kind of footprint Portland state has on the blockchain space going forward. Cause it seems like you guys are making a lot of progress. Thanks for having us, Brandon. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And, um, I've really been enjoying your podcast and I'm looking forward to I've got your book now and I'm looking forward to reading that. And so, yeah, it's really great to meet you and thanks so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye-bye.